funny how? It'd be funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. holiday special we should just start singing christmas carols can we call them christmas carols anymore i don't know um yeah it's the... wait have we started <laughs> yeah this is it <laughs> oh this is the episode okay is you know the war the war on christmas right it like has have the have the have the liberals and the democrats have they taken away our right to sing christmas carols like are they just like holiday songs now is that what we have to call them you know well, I'm kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, because while I'm currently not practicing any formal religion, all of my favorite Christmas carols are heavily religious themed. You so... know, I'm just going to say it, dude. The happy holidays, like I'm fine with saying happy holidays, whatever. But can we really not pretend that there's any other holiday but Christmas and a little bit of Hanukkah? Like, other than that, nobody really like Kwanzaa. Nobody really celebrates that. And I can't even name a fourth one. You know what, guys? I'm going to stop him there um, <laughs> because all of our Kwanzaa followers out there, uh, much respect to your holiday. I'm not entirely sure what it is. Um, Happy Kwanzaa? I, I know that with Hanukkah, they light a candle. I was just listening to Mark Marin talk about him lighting his candle. But it's funny because he said he blew it out every time he left the house. And I thought the whole point of it was to keep it burning for like 12 days or something. Um no, I so, think they, you know what? I'm not going to just go ahead and randomly speculate on Jewish holidays. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to self-censor right there. <laughs> so, so guys, this is, this is our, our holiday episode. You know, we, we pre-recorded a few episodes to kind of take some time off for the, for the holidays, but we wanted to do, we realized, I should say, I realized, I don't think my co-host cared at all. Um, I realized that we didn't do anything for, for this holiday, whatever the fuck you want to call it. So, um, what we did was pick a couple of, 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 I had a fun idea that, that my co-host ruined, and I'm not going to say that happens regularly, (laughs) but it happens sometimes. Um, I wanted to pick like, like underrated or underseen Christmas movies or holiday movies, excuse me. Um, and (laughs) And my co-host decided he would pick this random, off-the-fucking-wall, filthy French movie to watch (laughs) that literally had next to nothing to do with Christmas. Next to nothing to do? What are you talking about? The whole thing takes place during Christmas. That Yeah, but I mean, you can make the argument that, like, does that qualify as a Christmas movie? Like, that's always been the argument for, like, Die Hard or Lead the Weapon or any of those movies. Okay, okay. Christmas is a backdrop, a very, like uninvolved backdrop of this movie i'm just gonna say this i disagree i think that it has just as much to do with christmas as the bishop's wife i mean the christmas is literally a backdrop in that movie okay i'll take that criticism oh good okay (laughs) um anyway um, oh good then i guess it's like you should have never mentioned that at all and you have a (laughs) stupid fucking point yeah, now I feel like I just want to edit all that out. I <laughs> know. Uh, <laughs> I guess mine involves an angel. That always yours involves an abuser and a harlot, and mine involves an angel. Wait, so, a harlot? <laughs> yeah, that that one woman. She's a real harlot. All um, right, whatever. Let's. <laughs> anyway, 
guys, so so we're going to talk about that and we're going to kind of treat this as like, since we're not doing a New Year's episode, kind of treat this as like a very, you know, uh, s- summation of the podcast. Like we did a state of the pod last year. We kind of want to just kind of revisit some shit and just talk about it. But mainly uh, just do something holiday related since we can't let, you know, we don't want to be Grinches. We're not fucking Grinches over here. So. Yeah, you know, and it's been a big year for the podcast. Um, you know, huge I, year for the podcast. I posted that on Twitter. Like our, you know, our listeners have, are up three hundred percent this year, um, which uh, which is kind of crazy. And uh, so, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's it'd be good to kind of sum things up, you know, before we head into twenty twenty two. Which uh, I tell you what, on my on my bingo card, I had uh, I will be dead by that year. Uh, but apparently not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So, so let's, uh, let's, let's discuss these two movies, which I, you know, with this idea, I will admit the flaw is I wasn't sure how much meat was on the bone as they say. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so I know that you didn't like the Bishop's wife, which I, I do understand that to a certain extent. I mean, it's Cary Grant who is, you know, a God walking among us, but, uh, but anyway, what do you want to talk about first, Deuce or? or let's talk about Bishop. Wife. Let's talk about the Bishop's Wife first because I feel like it's definitely, um, it it is a little bit of an offbeat Christmas movie in the sense that you don't hear it in the same, you know. There's about there's maybe about five or six or you know seven maybe other classic Hollywood Christmas movies that you think about before you think about the Bishop's Wife, you know. Um. So. But I do think it's more popular, certainly, than the one that I picked. Um, as oh, a- you think? <laughs> you really think? Like, yeah, I don't want you to be too hard on yourself. Um. So yeah, so yeah, Bishop's wife. You know, I- I'll say this: I really love Cary Grant. I think he's the greatest screen actor uh, to ever live, and I think he is great in this movie. Uh, and every time he is on screen, I love watching him. Um, and it, this is a really interesting performance for him. It, he's incapable of giving a non-interesting performance. I truly believe that. And there's a really great moment where she says something like, I never know if you're serious or joking. And he says like, I'm most serious when I'm joking or whatever. I don't, I don't know the exact, um, terminology he uses, but it, it to me, it felt like a kind of a, a, a mission statement for Cary Grant's entire screen persona. You know, that combination of serious, uh, sometimes menace and and charm, you know, kind of going hand in hand in his best performances. But when he's not on screen, I really was not enjoying myself. And he's not on screen for a lot of the movie. And like, also, this is one of those movies where like the plot only comes into focus at the very end. Like, literally the whole time you're wondering, what the fuck is even happening? Like, you literally don't know the plot of the movie until the very last scene, you know? Like, like basically, you don't know why he's there and what he's up to. The whole the whole movie is, what's Cary Grant's character up to? And then you find out at the end, and you're like, oh, well. And it also, there's a little element that he, where he, like, erases their memories, and it's like a little... Uh, it's like a little men in black. It was all a dream situation. And it's just like, I, I don't know. I don't know what, it, what we're doing here. Like, this is barely a movie. I don't know. I didn't really enjoy it. What's, what's your case for the Bishop's wife though? Well, f- 
first off, I feel like the point of the movie was v- very simple. Um, it is Cary Grant, the angel, trying to bang this man's wife in order <laughs> to get him to pay attention to his wife. <laughs> and and spoiler alert, if this man had not said what he said at the end, where like she's my life, blah blah blah, he was going to sleep with her. That's a fact. <laughs> Um, right, like how far would Cary Grant have taken? How far would he have taken this? Like he, hey absolutely... man, he's on a mission from God. God told he sent him there to get the job done. He says, "Buddy, I'm going to make you appreciate your wife if I have to clap those cheeks, pal." Like, <laughs> see there, that's the holiday spirit. Um, <laughs> the perfect no. Christmas movie. <laughs> I like this movie just because I, 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 I think there's some genuinely like good lessons in it. Like when you right. look at just the holiday cheer, like the holiday spirit, if you will. Right. Um, I'm a big fan of, 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 of old Christmas movies. I'm not the biggest fan of it's a wonderful life, but that's only because I think it's one of the most depressing movies ever made and, <laughs> ha- and has no, there's no reason to watch that on Christmas. I'm, like, I'm, I'm with fuck? you there, partner. But I mean, you, I will say, I don't want to be a hypocrite. The case can be made for my personal favorite Christmas movie, which is any rendition of The Christmas Carol for the most part. And that's also an incredibly depressing film, uh, even though people are like, oh, Scrooge learned his lesson. It's like, yeah, he's going to be dead in like four days. Yeah. Um, every Christmas movie, like the, the moral of it was like, you've wasted your life. <laughs> it's like, Jesus. It's man. like. I'm the ghost of Christmas past can show you all this stuff and, and, and the future and all the present and, and you make the change. They're not going to give you any time back. You're still going to be dead in like three hours. Cause you're like fucking 80, but right. whatever. Right. 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 Um, and same, same with Jimmy Stewart. It's like at the end of it's a wonderful life, you know, it's like, Oh, the whole town pitched in to help you. Well, guess what? Motherfucker. You're still going to be broke and have wasted your life tomorrow morning. when you wake up, like, <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't understand it. Um, I, okay, so, uh, but I will tell you, the bishop's wife has a couple of problems that I did find upon this viewing because it's been a while since I watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's too long. Yes, yeah. by about probably fifteen minutes. I would say and twenty. I, There's no reason why this shouldn't be a tight ninety. I can see that. I feel like it's because it was just like Cary Grant, but then you think, well, he wasn't really in it a ton. Right. Like, right. Yeah. But what's really bizarre about the film, as much as I like it, and I'm glad we watched it, and I hope people who've never heard of it will watch it on on this this Christmas season, is the film is marketed like, like I made a joke earlier, but I'm being serious now. The the cover art for the film and everything was marketed like Cary Grant's gonna get this lady. Yes. Like, well, and I'll, that's really bizarre. But I'll go a step further. The entire movie is like a romantic comedy between Cary Grant and this woman so much so that you're rooting for them. So like when, when that like rug gets thrown out from under it and like, he's like, I appreciate my wife. And he's like, okay, cool. I'm wiping her memory. It's like, wait, what? I I, like, I was invested in this relationship. What the fuck? Yeah. Like I, they, they put a lot of time and a lot of charm and a lot of effort into that relationship just to kind of pull the rug out from under you. Right. It's shocking because it's like that when they're ice skating and stuff, it's like, oh, this is going to be nice. But like, you know, because this movie was made in 1947, that like the plot of the movie cannot be angel comes, steals this guy's wife. Right. 
you know that can't be the plot of the movie so the whole time you're like what what is happening like how is this going to end and then when it ends it's like oh well that could not be more unsatisfying well the movie could have really taken a turn if like the the run with the premise of an angel but just don't say where the angel came from so (laughs) now that's interesting then he could have taken the wife and that's when you would have realized oh he came from hell Right. So it's like a, it, like you, you throw in like a little clue in there early where he's like, I'm not sure what kind of angel he is, you know, to get the audience wondering. And then, yeah, the whole time you're now that's a good idea for a movie because, you know, Cary Grant's, uh, you know, uh, kind of persona would have been really good for that. That's a great idea. I agree. It's very like I've never watched the show, but I understand the premise like Lucifer. Mm. Um, like that show Lucifer where like the devil's this super charming dude and everybody's taken by him. And it's like, well, he is the fucking devil. Um, that show Lucifer where, uh, the master of Satan, the, <laughs> the master of all evil in the universe comes back to solve crimes. <laughs> is that what he does? I yeah. thought he was a club. I thought he was a club owner. I think it's like a crime procedural, isn't it? I have no idea. Oh, well. Um, anyway. I just know that a lot of people are mad about it, and they were like, stop teaching our kids to like Satan. I literally think it's like Satan comes back, comes to Earth, and it, it's like does CSI stuff. <laughs> that, I, that'd that be pretty awesome, actually, if that was the case. Like, just to see Satan work in a crime scene, like Dexter. <laughs> Stroking his, like, uh, cartoonish goatee, like, hmm. Like... Well, if we're going to go that far, he has to be in the red suit. <laughs> just like uh, that'd be a good like snl skit or like uh i think you should leave skit of just like the devil trying to like solve a crime and like going through like the motions of a typical crime scene in a movie you know eating a donut or whatever and it's just the devil in like a red like red hood and cape i'd watch that show oh 100 um okay so i will say this loretta young is good like, yeah. I like her in the movie. Yeah. But David Niven is not good. <laughs> I found him to be really stiff. Like You know, you know who would have been good in this role is someone like Claude Rains. You know? Like, uh, or maybe not Claude Rains. Who's the guy that I'm thinking? Who's the guy in the in the movie that, that we're going to watch? The Rossellini movie? Um, I don't know. The guy that's in fucking uh, All About Eve. Shit. I can't think of that guy's name. Um. I don't know. Maybe people listening will know. He's the he's the main guy in All About Eve. Like he he's like a he's like a cad, you know. Like he would have been a good uh, a good husband in this movie because like David Niven is just an asshole to his wife, and it's just like that's it, you know. Like you know who I think would have been great in it? Who? George Raff. George Raff. <laughs> I think you know George what? Raff could have knocked it out of the park. Yeah, nothing says George Raft like a fucking <laughs> bishop of a church. Hey, I'm uh, raising well, money for this. I'm raising money well, for this building over here. George Raft, with his character, uh, like you know the crime background or whatever, he would fit that in one aspect. But we won't go into that. <laughs> this is this is why uh, name redacted canceled on us. By the way. Um, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so <laughs> you'll you'll have so, to, for our listeners out there, you'll have to just uh, you'll have to just guess who that name redacted name was. Um, 
Um, the the weird thing is, do you know anything about this director, Henry Coster? Um, I read the I, I read the David Thompson entry in the Biographical Dictionary. Uh, it went right in one ear and right out the other. I didn't retain any information. Yeah, that's the thing. Me either. Like, I like this movie. I watched it when I was a kid. I've watched it several times since. I I do think it is a it is a kind of a a fun like lighthearted kind of Christmas movie about learning lessons and shit. I do think as you rewatch it when you're older, you spot some problems as we've discussed. Um, but I don't. I've never seen any other movie this man has directed. Like, so it's really weird. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I never. It's a, what is it, Henry Koster or something? Yeah, um, he's another German director, which I find interesting. Yeah, I think one of the World War II refugees. I'm sure. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't know anything about him, or don't. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen another movie that he made. Um, yeah, I mean, it cannot be emphasized enough uh, for those of you who aren't going to watch it or um, have never seen it. Uh, this is a movie about Cary Grant cucking David Niven, like a hundred percent. Like he literally shows up and goes, I'm an angel from heaven. I'm here to help you. And David Niven's like, cool, you're going to help me raise money for my building that I'm building. And he's like, uh, something like that. And then he just proceeds to whine and dine and charm, almost charm the pants off of David Niven's wife uh up until this kind of like deus ex machina at the end and like uh it's wild the whole time you're thinking like is Cary grant gonna cut this guy it's just on screen is that what's gonna happen um, well like the, i remember like thinking like well odds are the husband is just gonna be a complete asshole you right. know and like you're gonna have every reason to root for Cary grant but then come to find out the husband is kind of like milk toast like right, right. he's just kind of bland and you still are, are rooting for Cary Grant. Like you still want Cary Grant to end up with this man's wife. Right. <laughs> and I know I'm kind of right. ripping on it considering it was my pick, but I don't mean to rip on it. I'm just spotting. I'm just saying like, these are things I, I've, I've noticed over the few times I've watched it as I've gotten older is like, this was just really bizarre. Like yeah, it's like Shane. Shane is always my go-to when, when, when in that case. Oh like, fuck yeah! There's yeah, a, a yeah. there's a surprising amount of movies like that where like a big manly man, you know, the star, the Cary Grant, the Clint Eastwood, the whoever, just comes in and like runs roughshod over some other guy, and like you know just cucks him to oblivion, and then you know doesn't actually like you know fuck his wife but then like leaves and like at the end of the movie the wife is like oh what could have been you know or whatever like this is there's a, there's a surprising amount of old hollywood movies like that i don't know i don't know what that says about old hollywood or like american society i don't know there's there's so, something in the water there i don't i haven't un, i haven't untied that knot well i mean i i definitely like if you're looking for like an underrated like Christmas movie. Cause it is highly, re it's a highly regarded Christmas movie. Like it really is like, mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of why I thought of it just because, um, it's one of those movies where it's not going to get first or second tier, but like third or fourth, like it could be one of those, like just charming Cary Grant performances to throw on, like it's safe for the whole family, blah, blah, blah. So I, I do think like, if you, if you like Cary Grant and old movies, like it's worth checking out, but, um, there's some weirdness there. 
you know, if we're being yeah, honest. yeah, there definitely is. But but it, it like it like unironically there are. It's like there's a lot of old Hollywood movies like that where like the whole doesn't quite work out. But like some of the individual scenes are great. Some of the individual scenes with Cary Grant and Loretta Young are genuinely great because um, they have just a real good chemistry there together, and she plays this kind of like. I don't know. They, they, they play it kind of innocent. You know what I mean? And that's what I think is so great about Cary Grant. It's like the whole time you're kind of wondering, like, is this innocent? Is he just like trying to like give this guy's wife a good time? Or like, is this completely innocent? Or does he actually want to like fuck this guy's wife? Like, what is what is the situation here? You know, and, and nobody else but Cary Grant could bring that level of ambiguity to that role. You know, that's what he was best at, I think. Um, no, absolutely. I think anybody else, you know, that didn't have the same charm and screen presence could have really fucked up the hmm. role. And I think that, that that and also obviously, you know, that's the main reason this movie has stuck with me over the years because yeah. It it is Cary Grant and it is a very charming role for him. So yeah. of course, like that's why people love Cary Grant. So What about the remake? Have you seen the remake, The Preacher's Wife? Uh, with my boy Denzel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen it, bro. Is it good? I loved it because it's Denzel. Who is uh? Who is now? I'm assuming Denzel is the angel, but who's the guy he's cucking? Is it anybody we know? Um, it is Courtney B. Vance. Oh yeah, from okay, I know that guy. He's from uh, yeah. yeah. He's like a character actor. He's in some TV shows and stuff. Um. What? I have not seen it in forever, but uh, I was literally thinking about rewatching it just because I, I've, I've seen this, you know, obviously watching The Bishop's Wife. So. I was going to ask you the plot details because, you know, in the, in the 90s, it's, you know, you can you can have Denzel fuck the wife. I mean, who cares? You know, so. Well, I don't know if that's entirely true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the wife is Whitney Houston, right? Yeah, yeah. Great, man. She's great in this. Um, Hell yeah, I should, I should watch that actually. Um, no, it's worth watching, man. Like it's it's one of those early Denzel performances, um, and like he kind of like like you could like you know I ride pretty hard for Denzel. I think he's probably you know he's in the top five probably best actors working right now. Like or he's not working as much, but I think he kind of he wasn't quite Denzel yet. Like yeah, I know. So what you're you kind of about. see you kind of see this this a little bit of, because now he's Denzel in every movie, regardless yeah. of how great he is. Like Denzel is an institution, but, uh, and this one, it was just, it's a really good, it's a really fun one. Like, you know, uh, it's yeah, watching. no, I know, I know what you're talking about. Like sometimes with these like older movies, it's like Denzel's playing the hits, you know, he's just like being Denzel, which is fine. Like, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, those, it's like watching an early Tom Hanks movie where you're like, Oh, I forgot this guy used to be kind of like an energetic, comedian almost you know like you watch turner and hooch and you're like oh i forget that he used to be like yeah like a comedian almost like a great comedic actor you know as opposed to like now he's like an elder statesman you know oh hell yeah dude i revisit bachelor party in the burbs quite often right right because he is a really good comedic actor and like he just he doesn't do that shit anymore because obviously why would you but yeah so let, let let's talk about yours um <laughs> Okay. I knew, I knew, you know what? I knew you were going to be a little bitch about this. I knew it. I knew it. I you could know, feel it in my bones. He, here's the problem. Like, I'll, I'll before I tell you guys what the movie is or what's it, what it's about. Like, the problem is, no offense, I don't like French. I don't <clears> like <throat> the French. Um, you know, if you're a French listener, last time I checked, we don't have very many. If you are, 
don't take offense to me saying that, but I'm not the biggest fan. Um, <laughs> so this movie is encompasses everything I hate: classism, the fucking the 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 the, the wealth inequality bullshit the the governess and and the countess and all this bullshit i I don't like any of that it literally i'm watching it and like all these two people want to do is like get married and like it's illegal and i'm like what the fuck this is no like it's driving me insane but i will say i like the movie you know i did I, i did like it yeah i mean just to give some context here this is um this is in a um eclipse series which we we always talk about doing and we never uh really actually do but this is uh from an eclipse series uh from the criterion collection and if you don't know what the eclipse series is it is a um basically a set of dvd or i should say a set of dvd sets that are released by the Criterion Collection. Um, they're not restored, and they don't have any special features. It's just um, uh, basically the Criterion Collection is like these should be available uh, on physical media somehow, and they've stopped doing them mostly because their channel like functions as this now. You know why release it on DVD when you could just release it on the Criterion channel for streaming? Um, but I th- the Eclipse is these really kind of like forgotten. Um, you know, directors or stars that, that, um, you know, that have some really interesting work. But anyways, this one is uh, Eclipse Series 45, Claude Autant Laura, who is the name of the director. Sure, I'm butchering that. Four Romantic Escapes from Occupied France. So these were movies that were made during uh, the Nazi occupation of France. And for anybody who listened to our uh, Children of Paradise, our Marcel Carnet episode we did recently, we talked about it quite a bit, uh, where the French film industry was you know, basically being controlled by Nazis. And it's pretty interesting because the Nazis took over and basically just started showing German propaganda films, but nobody was going to them in France. And they could, they didn't, well, I guess they could have, but they didn't uh, force people to go see movies. And so they were like, well, this is not working because this is supposed to be propaganda and nobody's watching the movies. So they uh, got some like French people who had previously worked in the industry and they were like, you know, make movies, you know, you have to make movies now, but they have to be like approved, you know, by the, um, by the Nazis who are in charge or whatever. And so that is what uh, some of these movies, that's what children of paradise was, which is, you know, a a masterpiece and a classic, of course, but um, one that's going to be featured on a future episode. Oh, it's a future episode. It's not a. It's not a past episode. It is not out yet. Oh, oh shit. Um, well, that's fine. I was just letting letting listeners know we do discuss that movie, and it is fantastic. Yeah, no, I'm glad you said that because I was yeah acting like it was in the past tense. But yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that on a lot of an upcoming episode. But basically, the French were making movies while the Nazis were were occupying them, and this is uh, this Eclipse box set is like these kind of romantic melodramas. Um, that were made at that time. And when the, when the French New Wave came about, they really like were rebelling, you know, Godard and Truffaut, they were like rebelling against what they called this tradition of quality. And so a lot of these movies had really bad reputations for a really long time. But that's kind of, I mean, you know, not that there's, I mean, when you're an artist, you have to, you know, um, you know, sometimes you have to rebel against something, but these, some of these movies were actually great. Children of paradise obviously was, um, 
and so these movies are too. And so there's one of them, which is a Christmas movie, which is called Deuce, D-O-U-C-E. And um, I don't know. You want to give a little bit of the plot rundown? Because I know, I know nobody's seen this movie. This is probably this is probably one of the the most uh, the least well known movies we've ever discussed on here. Yeah, and it's awesome you picked it for this episode. Um, <laughs> it's a little so, known Christmas movie. I thought that was the assignment. Uh, yeah, well, little, not like minuscule. Um, <laughs> I will tell you this. Uh, I saw this little trivia on IMDb, and I thought it was interesting. I don't know much about this, but I still find it funny. It says on its first release, the sequence in which the Countess brings Christmas gifts in a very patronizing way. Yeah. Uh, I'll, re- I'll replace that with douchebag way. Right. to a poor family was cut by the occupation censorship. Right. Which is pretty funny. But do you know um, why that was cut? Because yeah, there's, there's a little more to that story actually. Um, I don't No, Please tell me all the French history. <laughs> well, because there's, <laughs> there's a phrase that she says that sounds a little bit awkward in the, in the world of the movie. She's when she's leaving the, the house, they say, she says, I wish you um, patience and resignation. Right. Okay, okay. Which seems like such a weird thing to say, but that is what the daily radio messages of the Vichy French government, the Vichy French government, which was the, you know, basically puppet government that the Nazis had set up uh, during, you know, the occupation. And the Vichy government would go, um, you know, have a radio broadcast every day updating the, you know, status of events. And they would, they would say at the end of it, uh, we wish you patience and resignation. Uh, and those two words are so interesting to me because it's like patience in what, like basically pay, like, Hey, the Germans are taking over our country. Be patient, be resigned. You know, like it literally is like a, a sign off that is like, Hey, uh, for friendly reminder, uh, don't rock the boat. Just let the Germans take over our country. And it's, it's kind of fucked up. And so that phrase was put in there, um, as a very explicit kind of like, fuck you, like, you know, to the, uh, Nazi occupiers, and to no one's surprise, they took it out. Um, See, I thought it was just some weird shit the French say to each other. <laughs> no, um, yeah, yeah, no. It was, it was, it was, it was the, it was, it was the code to like, hey, don't rock the boat, you know. Um, yeah, which is, yeah, I don't know, the whole thing is very fascinating to me. I no, will that always is very, find, that is very cool. I will always find this shit fascinating, like this era of, of French history specifically, because like like unironically like i know like we you shit on the french a lot but like this is a culture that like like prides their like part of like the french identity is being very proud of their culture and i don't mean culture in a general sense i mean specifically like they're proud of their food they're proud of their movies and they like i saw a tweet from um from uh, lauren oiler that was like it's 2 p.m on a thursday and there's a line around the block to see Rosemary's baby. Like the French love their movies, you know? Um, and like this to me is like the perfect, like almost inspirational thing of like, dude, the Nazis were in control of the fucking country and they were just cranking out movies that like still hold up like almost, you know, almost 75 years later or whatever. I don't know. It will never not be like, it will never not be like a like a like a symbol of the longevity of art or the power of art to me, you know. Yeah, you can just let me know when you're done talking about the French, and I'll and I'll tell tell everybody what the movie's about. <laughs> are you, all right, are sorry, you done? That, that was. 
there was a pause there. Sorry, there was a pause there. <laughs> there was a pause there that made it seem like I was like uh, doing a bit and being awkward or being mad or whatever. But I legit thought I heard a key enter the lock of my door, and so that was that was me having a heart attack. So, <laughs> well, that would have been an interesting thing to capture on microphone. Like, who are you? And then you get murdered. Um, <laughs> And then this is the only thing the police have to go off of. And we have no idea who it was. <laughs> uh, anyways. So, yeah. But sorry. I'm glad yeah. you're okay. Yeah. Uh, even though it would have been kind of fitting since you just went off about the French for like f- what felt like 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was have been my last word. <laughs> Vive la France. Wait, hello? Who are you? Get shot instantly. Um, okay, guys. So Deuce. Uh, I'll just read you the storyline, like, because it's 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 really interesting. As much as I'm being mean about the French, I mean all that. But the movie is actually interesting. In Paris in 1887, Irene works as the governess to Deuce, the granddaughter of the Dowager Countess de Bonifay. So pretentious. Deuce believes she is in love with Fabian, the handsome manager of the estate. However, she cannot hope to marry him because of their class difference. Yeah, that's cool. Deuce's widowed father, the Count de Bonifay, has a wooden leg, and it's actually pretty funny, and is infatuated with Irene. Um, He reminds me of the guy from Family Guy, because it literally is just a wooden, like, they're not even trying to, like, like fancy it up. It's a fucking peg, and it is awesome. Um, Yeah, he's a literal peg leg. Yeah, like, it's great. Uh, Deuce discovers that Fabian is planning to flee to Quebec with Irene, and also finds out that the Count has asked Irene to marry him. So Deuce tells Fabian this and convinces him to run away with her, causing consternation in the family. Look, I'm going to ask a question right off the top that is a spoiler. If you are going to watch this movie after this podcast, do not listen to what I'm about to say. What does her dying mean at all? Like, I knew she was going to die as soon as the movie, like, introduced the idea of that. Like, I would say when the the one that was probably like, I'm not trying to say I figured it out or anything. I'm saying... Like when there was like 30 minutes left, it was sure. like, she's going to die. She's going right. to die. Like, but what does that mean? Can you tell me that? Well, okay. Let's sketch out a little bit of the plot here because Deuce, the, the title character is, she is essentially kind of the main character, although she's not, she's not the, the one who the audience really has sympathy with. She's basically kind of like a, how would you describe her? She's kind of like a, a spoiled rich girl who like, is in love with basically the head servant of the house. Well, she's in love with the idea of, of it's, 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 just, it's the age old story. She's in love with the idea right. of what this servant represents. Like, right. right. Because the grass is always greener, you know? Um, right. So yeah. And, and meanwhile, he is actually in love with her governess. Um, and he is creepy, abusive. Uh, He's fucking insane. Okay. He, he reminded me of like Ted Bundy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He really is. He really gives off kind of awful vibes and, um, yeah. And he's in love with her. I, that's Irene, the, 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 what's her name? The governess, but the governess is actually in love with Deuce's father, the head count or whatever. And that's actually mutual, which is nice. Like it was like, Oh good. At least like, at least some people like each other on purpose, you know? And so, but their kind of relationship is thwarted because obviously she's a governess and he's like a count or whatever. And um, so, yeah, so we basically have this kind of like uh, love quadrangle or whatever. 
and and yeah it ends tragic i will say i think the as far as the plot goes i think it's really well done until we get to kind of the tragic ending because i really don't quite know exactly why she had to die or why we had to have the tragic ending it's kind of that thing that happens in a lot of movies where it's like well we've kind of spun this tale but we really don't know how to get ourselves out of it so the theater catches on fire and deuce dies you know like it kind of felt like almost like a cop-out to me you know no it did feel like a cop-out that's the thing it felt like they didn't know how they were gonna wrap this up right and so it's like oh deuce is dead and then like you get this closing statement from the grandmother and it's like is that why you set it up so she could have like this moment where she like rips into both of them and it's like i don't understand i also don't understand like why it was like why irene was being fired you know because like when when deuce runs off with with uh fabian fabian whatever like they 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 banish her like when she goes to find them She's even like, hey, man, they're going to fucking kick me out. Like, you right. guys need to do something. Right. And I don't really understand the logic. Um, I know that they were obviously lashing out because they were just upset that their that their daughter, granddaughter is gone. But I just uh, I don't know, no, man, the whole the whole end of the movie felt like a cop out. It's not it's not spelled out uh, very clearly, but and I, I'm not really remembering it correctly. But there is a reason why they kick her out. I think it's because they think that uh they think that she told deuce to run away with the guy i think like it's something like that like it's it's not very well explained but it's in there because i I remember exactly pausing on the same moment and being like wait what why are they coming so down so hard on her and then like right after i thought that they mentioned it like that that they think it was her fault that she pressured she told Deuce to leave because then she thought then it would be easier for her to marry the guy, you know. But yeah, I mean, as far as the plot mechanics go, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to pretend this is some kind of perfectly scripted movie, but you know, I do think, um, well, well, we can talk about the visuals in a minute, but I, I do think like this is also a very, and I think the rules of the game is a very, um, it's interesting to watch this with you know alongside of that, or to keep rules of the game in mind because rules of the game is obviously you know, much more complex work, both, you know, dramatically and visually, but it's the same kind of genre. You know what I mean? It's a very, very sharp criticism of class divisions. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons why the tragic ending doesn't necessarily work, but it had to end in tragedy, right? This is not a Shakespearean, like think about Shakespearean comedy, right? Like in the Shakespearean comedy, you know, uh, a servant falls in love with a queen. Well, he doesn't end up with her, right? The, the, the balance of power is restored at the end of the movie or at the end of the play, right? That, that literally was, is what, um, like what Shakespearean comedy is all about, but this is not, this is not a romantic comedy. This is not in that genre. This is a tragedy. This is, if you try to get out of your station, you know, things will not end well for you, you know, um, dickens you know uh this is and this is a a genre of novel that was very and short story that was very popular in the 1800s like if you try to get out of your rigid social situations things will end badly for you or they may end tragically even you know you may die 
you know, Anna Karenina, Madame Bovary, et cetera, et cetera. Like this was a genre and, um, and I think it's, I mean, obviously the movie is set in the late 1800s, but it's, uh, it's very critical of a, of a French society that is so stratified, if that makes sense. Um, well, I mean, that's why I do want to say, like, all joking aside, like, I said that the movie made me mad because it addressed some of those things. I, and, and I understand that it's a criticism, but when I watch a movie like this, it just reminds me, like, it, it's, it's, it's such an insane concept. So when, when you build in my inherent hatred for the French with this <laughs> idea, it, it really is the perfect storm. But I, I do... Like the movie does a good job, which could be another reason for the tragedy, because the movie is like like letting you know there's there's a price for this system that we right. have in place that clearly is a pro- like was a problem. Like it's it, it this can never end well right. when you have like this this classist system set up based on wealth and shit like that. So that that could be another way that it could work. Well, and, and also taking it into account the fact that this is taking play or this is a movie that's being made and released under Nazi occupation. There's also the implication and you get a lot of this in rules of the game. There's also the implication that like uh, uh, that we are under the control of the Nazis because we had a bankrupt culture to begin with. You know what I mean? Like there, there there's. Yeah. Yeah, that, is, that that implication is strong in rules of the game and it's strong in a lot of of this occupation era um art i guess and specifically cinema but also i i, I it's also interesting because uh, and this may be a good way to segue into the visuals of it but the you know we're we're not used to that like th- this is a very glamorous movie in the sense that the things that we are being shown are very glamorous um and, you know, obviously we're, we're spending our time with rich people. And this is something that w- we Americans are most familiar with in the 30s, right? Like in the kind of glamorous Ernst Lubitsch, you know, comedies of the 1930s where, you know, and, and a lot of non-classic movies where it's just like, um, yeah, this this movie from 1935 is just like, look at these rich people doing a bunch of shit. And it's not necessarily very socially critical so i think it would be understandable for someone who wasn't familiar with this particular era of french cinematic history to watch this movie and be like i don't know if they're being critical of it or not you know what i mean because our our relationship to that around the same time period like ernst lubitsch movies are not like social critiques of class and wealth right and so i think it would be easy to watch this and be like wait a second, is this critical? Because like, it's so beautiful. And so like the sets are so well done and it's so high class. It's just like in America, we don't get a lot of those stories. I don't think, you know, we don't get a lot of those rich people are bad stories, you know, especially in classic Hollywood. And I think, I think the beauty of the movie can kind of obscure that message unless you're really familiar with the context of the times, you know, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, I view it like, yeah, it's beautiful. Like it, it, it's amazing costumes and great set, and it's just it, it was a it was a it was a good movie to look at. But I view it in the same vein as like Shakespeare. 
Right. Like Shakespeare is fantastic, obviously, arguably the greatest playwright of all time. But all of his stories are just kind of like, this is fucked up. Like, right, right, right. Like, right. so, so when you look at something this beautiful, like at the end of the day, like it ends with this young girl is dead because she made it like this desperate decision that was born out of like, I don't want, like, I, I personally believe that do saw something like maybe she she was more maybe not much more but more than just a spoiled brat mm. and like she just wanted to experience something else than this life of privilege right and because like there was literally a threat of law a threat of death a threat like for him like he could have been fucking executed i don't know right. if they were using i don't know when the guillotine was invented but they could have fucking killed that guy or hung him something right so like there was there was a lot at stake and it ended with her dying and it was a tragedy that could have been avoided. So I think that it's, it's a, it's a really interesting um, critique of it while you're watching this beautiful film with, yeah, you know, this language that just fits, it just fits this world. You know, the French language is beautiful. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I don't know. We can, we can, I guess we can wrap this up, but, but I just wanted to mention the, the, the visual, uh, nature of it. I mean, there's some really incredible visuals here. I, I was watching it and I was, I was wishing that it had been restored, honestly, because I was like, I bet, I better rest- like e- even watching it on the channel, like you can tell it's in like 720p. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's you can tell that it's really not the highest of quality, which I mean is it's fine. I'm, I'm just glad these things are available at all. But like, um, you know, it, it's, it's some of the shots are so beautiful, man. I mean, that opening, like we haven't even talked about that. And I think that might be my favorite thing in the movie where we're kind of like the camera is just hovering over like, uh, you know, Paris and it goes by the half finished Eiffel tower. Did you notice that at the beginning? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. Which actually led me to wonder like, when did the Eiffel tower get constructed? If that's the case. Yeah. 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 I know. Right. Like I was like, huh? So like, yeah, I, I realized I didn't ex- I exactly know when the Eiffel tower was, uh, really constructed but um yeah we get that like beautiful and there's a lot of like snow and like um there's a lot of incredible like there's some shots through like foggy frozen windows that are kind of really unusual you know um i think and- they did a lot with that they did a lot with lighting yeah they did a lot with like the candles yes when yeah. she's like trying to sneak out of the house, like yeah, I thought they did a they did a lot of interesting things that for a movie, obviously that's a bit older. Uh, they really captured some beautiful imagery with some pretty what I would look what looks to be fairly simple technique. Right. Yeah. It's it, it looks like it was like the it's it's very clear that like the opening of it is like a model. You know what I mean? But like if you're not if you're not looking for that, like it 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 works. You know, like it. Um, yeah, I to me I, I thought that was really impressive. And if I'm being just completely honest, that's the main reason why I like this movie. Like I I, I just love those vibes of just like a complete studio creation, you know, this like romantic rich people Paris, you know, whatever whatever. Like I'm I'm like a child. I'm just watching like the shapes and colors that I like on the screen, you know. Um and uh yeah it's just it's just really really impressive like and when and we'll see that again obviously when we talk about children of paradise as far as the um you know but even on an, on a much grander scale as far as like the you know the shading and the lighting and the cinematography i mean it's just incredible you know um 
Oh yeah, that that's that's a whole different ball game of 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 technique and beauty. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. Yeah. yeah. And but, set, honestly, the set in that movie is fucking insane. I mean, sure. This set, this set was good, but I mean that, yeah, that that one really, yeah, ups the game. Yeah, this one. Uh, speaking of the set, the thing, one of the things I liked about it was the fact that it was kind of like. Not completely, but it was mostly shot in that house. It reminded me of the Magnificent Ambersons in that, like, we really get into the nooks and crannies of almost every room in that house because, like, the whole movie essentially takes place there almost. So, like, by the end of it, I think there's, like, a shot in the living room, and I was just thinking, like, wow, I know I know every little room in this house, I feel like, you know, in this big, grand, you know, Parisian townhouse or whatever. Um but uh, Magnificent Amberson's a good pull. I didn't think I didn't think about that, but now that you've said it, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the difference is you know Orson Welles does it all in one shot to open that movie because he's a fucking genius. But but yeah, it's like it's like a lot of the movie takes place in the house, and you're you're like really Fanny and Alexander is like that too at the very beginning for like an hour where you're just like in that house and you're like exploring all the nooks and crannies of it. Um, oh, I remember Fanny and Alexander well. God, I'm not going to get started on this. Are you hating on another Christmas classic? Um, <laughs> Speaking of which, if you want to hear us talk about Fanny and Alexander, go back and listen to our uh, last year's Christmas episode where we do our top five Christmas movies. That's true. Yeah, we do. We do mention it on there. But yeah, anyways. Um, yeah. OK, I'm, I'm done gushing over over this movie. It's uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like you've gushed. Uh, more than sufficiently for this movie <laughs> I, I, man i love this i love movies like this like i when i saw when i was like uh looking up like random christmas movies i was like i know exactly the one like this is gonna be great and uh yeah i don't know i loved watching it again well you know i'm really glad i came up with this idea and we were able to watch it and i don't mean that sarcastically oh um, good <laughs> uh so anyway that's that those are the two christmas movies and honestly, I think you should watch both. If you're listening to this and you're like, I'm tired of the same old bullshit Christmas movies, uh, watch these two. Yeah, You'll I agree. Be kind of disappointed, but not all the way. I agree. Yeah, I didn't. I, I like. I didn't like the Bishop's Wife as much as you, but I mean, if there's a Cary Grant movie out there that you know someone hasn't seen, I mean, what, what what's wrong with you? You know, it's true. Because um, every movie Cary Grant was in is worth watching. Right. But okay, so guys, real quick. First off, I don't think we do this enough on the podcast, but we we really thank you guys for listening. As Jacob pointed out earlier, it's been a good year. You know, listenership was up. We've gotten a lot of engagement. Also, to um, the people who have reached out via Instagram and or Twitter to let us know, like a screenshot of where we were their most listened to podcast of 2021. Really appreciate that. It uh, it obviously uh, gives us a little bit of a boost. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, I've been out of town the last two weeks, uh, and I have not got a chance to tell my co-host uh, about all the messages we've received. So uh, now you know. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good to hear from you guys, and it's good to you know interact with you on Twitter, and um, yeah, keep it up into the new year. We're uh, you know, we're nothing if not. Uh, a couple of uh, movie obsessed idiots like the rest of you. So, you know, and we, you know, and this is something uh, I don't think we even plan to say, but uh, sponsorships, Hey, not happening, pal. All right. Not on my watch. You want more of the show? 
you want to help support the show, we got patreon.com slash silver screen video. We're not doing any commercials for stamps.com or for any of this other bullshit. Like it's not worth it. We're not going to break the spell that we've got set up, you know, where we, uh, this is a safe space where you can like listen to and just, uh, hear us talk about movies and think about movies and, and think about how awesome movies are. We don't, we don't want to interrupt that with some ad for some kind of fucking mattress that you, you know, is going to pay us like 15 cents every time we, you know, get a thousand listens or some shit. Um, now I will say, I will follow that up with, with Jacob having said that I do the editing on the show. So if a sponsor reaches out, I can always add them in and post and take the money. So this is just Jacob talking. God this damn it. Not, this is not both of us talking. I'm powerless so, here. Um, so yeah, stamps.com, Criterion, any of you guys, just just hit us up and uh, we'll we'll work it out. Okay, wait. Now, Criterion's different. Criterion's different. Yeah, if Criterion wants to sponsor us, you know, then yeah, we'll, we'll do that. But that's only because we believe in the product. Um. Hey man, I don't care who it is. Uh, just reach out. I'll take the money. I don't care. Tiki torches, Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> okay, I don't care. Wh- I don't care what associations you people have. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, but on a more serious note, we have had some amazing guests this year. We we have we hope you guys have enjoyed them. Our numbers tell us you have. Most uh, recently, we had the pleasure of having Academy Award nominated director, writer, Whit Stillman on the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you have not listened to that, check it out. But I mean, yeah, it's been it's been a good year. Leo Robson was a great episode. I mean, we, we had quite a few guests. We had a huge extravaganza with Molly Lambert um, about the great Clint Eastwood. Yeah. So, um which if you haven't listened to that, check it out. That's our hundredth episode. Still haven't watched Cry Macho yet, and I think it's because I overdosed on Eastwood too soon. You know. You know what? We've we've been doing this podcast two years, which in the scheme of it all isn't that long. Like two years is is whatever. But just in the span of two years, not just myself, but our listeners have had to hear you talk about these big grand plans and then overdose on whatever you're doing. <laughs> and then sometimes you manage to blame me. Like, I still think in a way you blame me for Halloween last year, but really that's because you wanted to watch all these movies. And I'm like, dude, don't do that. Like just watch the ones we need to watch. No, I mean, I need to watch all of them. I need to know what's going on. And then you rot at your brain. You know what? This is a fair criticism. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. That's it. I'll take it. I that, This is a fair criticism. This is something that I do quite frequently. And you know what? Even in the best of circumstances, I still, when, when I do succeed, like our John Carpenter episode, I still end up wanting to kill myself at the end of it. So <laughs> it's just, it's too much of a thing. Like, it's like when I, when I start rewatching, obviously I rewatch Scorsese movies consistently, but I space it out. I can't watch like in a span of like three days, like Wolf of Wall Street, Goodfellas, Casino, Raging Bull. Because while they're masterpieces, obviously more some more than others, it's too much. It's just too much of a good yeah. thing, really. Well, it's also like kind of psychotic in a way because like, it, like that phrase, like your eyes are bigger than your stomach. But like my eyes are bigger than my entire body, you know, in the sense that like I like I'll be like I'm gonna watch all the Clint Eastwood movies uh, in the next two days, and it's like, well, 
his movies add up to more hours than you have before you have to record. And I'll be like, I don't know. I'll fit it in. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'll figure it out. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's crazy, but you know, the thing, the things you'll do for the podcast, I feel like at some point you should like, just record it. Like it'd be like a montage of like, of like Rocky training for the big fight. Right. Right. Um, It's just me sitting on the couch. Yeah. But we'll like put some '80s music behind it and do some jump cuts and stuff, and mm. it'll look much more exciting than it is. Right, me um, taking a break to eat like a ham sandwich. Yeah, like get a sandwich, get some popcorn, you know, do whatever. Right. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, cut to me yelling at my dogs, you know, like, <laughs> to shut the fuck cut up. Cut to like you getting like more and more aggressive and abusive um, <laughs> as as it goes on. Um, yeah. Oh so. uh, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, guys, you know, we're not going to do like last year we did a whole state of the pie because it was our first year and we kind of wanted to just talk about some things. But we've gone through some changes this year. We're still going through some changes. That's kind of the name of the game. We're trying to figure out what works best for us, but also what we think you guys want in terms of how we give the content, how many movies we talk about, which are still fluctuating because we just on some of the films, we want to make sure we're giving them enough time and enough uh, enough of all that and we we think we've kind of struck a balance but we're you know who knows it might change again that's that's how that's how it works so um yeah we don't really have a ton of stuff to cover jacob do you have anything else to add really about it elvis no i just want to say like just at the end of the day i mean we're still you know we've gone through some changes we had some guests but at, at the end of the day our, our kind of mission statement from literally episode one is is um the same you know which is um you know, the fact that being a cinephile at this point in time, you, you know, is it's a best of times, worst of times situation. You know, when we started, it, you know, the Irishman and Uncut Gems were just being released on Netflix. And and, you know, like right now, like I'm I'm, I'm finishing up some of the 2021 movies that I that I never got around to because there were some really good movies this year. And I like I, I think I've run into like four movies so far. I won't I won't spoil it and say which ones, but that would have been my like number one movie in like any other year, you know, I mean, obviously depending on the year, but I, my point is this has been a really great year for movies because we've had a lot of, you know, holdouts from 2020 because of COVID, you know? So it's like, we got, we got double the movies this year almost. Um, I mean, and, yeah. And also Spider-Man just came out. So well, that's it, cool. It's funny you mention that because like, I was going <laughs> to, I was going to say like at the same time that that's happening, you know, like at the same time that we're getting, a new Wes Anderson, a new Paul Thomas Anderson, Jane Campion movie, you know, uh, Steven Soderbergh released a movie, Ridley Scott, two movies, Eastwood, you know, on and on and on. All these great directors are, are putting out this, this work, you know, and at the same time, like just last weekend, just to date this a little bit, I guess, you know, Spider-Man, um, was released and you know, whatever, I'm not going to judge anybody for liking Spider-Man or for going to see it or for whatever, but you know, it's fine for movies like that to exist. Um, but at the same time, Nightmare Alley came out that same weekend. Nightmare Alley, which um, is, uh, you know, uh, uh, used to be a Fox movie, but, you know, since Disney bought Fox, it is a Disney movie. And Disney basically buried it. They buried Nightmare Alley by releasing it right next to Spider-Man. And I know Spider-Man is a Sony co-production, whatever, but it's essentially Disney property at this point. Um, and... I, you know, I, I don't think it's any accident that they were released on the same day. Disney essentially buried Nightmare Alley, 
you know, and they did the same thing with the last duel with another movie. I forget which one, but they're burying these kind of uh, mid budget, uh, you know, movies that, that, that are, you know, kind of a tourist creations that, and maybe I haven't seen Nightmare Alley. Maybe it fucking sucks. I don't know. It probably doesn't, but you know, these kinds of like original, you know, uh, movie ideas, like they're purposefully crushing these by putting them next to these big temple movies. And like, I saw somebody, the screenshot that said, like, it was a screenshot of like Spider-Man, you know, it was like $121 million opening weekend. And Nightmare Alley was like, I think it was like one or 2 million. And it was a screenshot of that. It said, good luck ever getting anything greenlit ever again. That's not a hundred million dollar movie, you know? And I think, you know, that's largely true. And so like, I guess what I'm saying by all that is like being a cinephile in this day and age is the best of times and worst of times. You know, you've got a brand new Jane Campion masterpiece, just to tip my hand a little bit, I guess, streaming on Netflix, you know, in this beautiful 4k right to your living room and it's incredible and it's instant, whatever. And at the same time, you've got, you know, a big corporation like Disney purposefully crushing its own products uh, for the betterment of its own future products. You know, it, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of shocking when you, and especially when you think about the fact that they own Fox, they own all of John Ford's work and, FW and Bernal and you know all that shit would be too depressing to even get into but my point is you know it's best of times and worst of times we're here for you throughout that it's a difficult time to be a movie fan and it's also a fun time to to be a movie fan and um we're basically trying to be uh that that video store that you used to go to or maybe if you're not old enough and you never went maybe you always heard the stories or you know you dreamed about it we that's what we're trying to be we're trying to be that video store of a place you can go and you can listen to people talk about movies and not talk about the real fucking world and not talk about politics and not talk about any of the other bullshit that we've got going on in the world because god knows there's plenty of bullshit going on um so yeah, that's my that's my big long-winded professorial way of saying that uh yeah, we're going to keep uh, we're going to keep putting out this this content for you guys and uh and yeah. That's it. Wow, you really um you really brought us down. You know what? I was so, just trying I was just trying to say we're going to be there for our listeners, you know. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know what what's funny is <laughs> About about this is actually I was about to make a joke about an abusive parent, um, but you know the guy Fabian from Deuce. You know the first thing I thought of him before we even really learned a lot about his character, I immediately thought he's he would be the type of father that if it, if his kid starts crying, he would respond with "I'll give you something to cry about." <laughs> you you know those parents like I'm not I gonna do. say I'm not gonna say possibly. I had a parent like that. That's here nor there. Of course not. I would never. Yeah. I'm just going to say that's immediately what I thought about Deuce, uh, uh, Fabian. So um, anyway, no, thanks for. Wait, 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 wait. What does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with me? I I forgot about I was going to make an abusive parent joke about what you just said. And then I got sidetracked because I have ADD. Um, Oh, good. Glad we had a nice non sequitur in there to fucking end the episode on you, son of a bitch. Don't uh don't stigmatize my disorder, please. <laughs> um. <laughs> anyway, um, guys, we uh, I, I all jokes aside, I agree with Jacob. We are here. We are the lighthouse. We will 
um, for the most part, probably, maybe, most likely avoid talking about comic book movies. Um, and not just them, but honestly, I'm, you know what? I'm not waging a war against comic book movies. I'm tired of that narrative. I'm ready to rate, like, I'm ready to wage a war against corporate studio films. I, I don't give a shit if it's a comic book movie or not. I think we need to move past that. I think Paul Thomas Anderson put it best when he was getting interviewed a week ago and said, the new Spider-Man's coming out and that's going to fill the theater. That's what we want. So it's just another evolution of film. And I agree with him. I'm tired of big studios though. They, it's not just comic book movies. It's just movies that have to be a certain way. And like you said, have to have a hundred million dollar budget. And as I pointed out in past episodes, I feel like when I was in the theater, by myself, the only person in the fucking building watching The Last Duel, it was eerie because I was like, I am watching the last $100 million drama to ever be made mm. right now. Yeah. And it sucks. So. Yeah, like like Red Notice. You know what I mean? Like, we're coming, yeah. we're coming for you, too, Red Notice. Like, it, what, the, what the fuck is Red Notice? It's that movie with The Rock and with uh, Gal Gadot and... Uh, Somebody else. It's like a big Netflix like action movie that like they put a lot of money and effort into, and nobody seems to really give a shit about. Um, you haven't you haven't seen it, or you haven't seen like a like a trailer for it or a poster. You know what? Honestly, dude, The Rock shows up so much everywhere. I just stopped listening. <laughs> well, it's like uh, it, it's I don't know. Like I was just like the point is like we're coming for you too. It's not just the comic book shit. It's the whole. You know who you are. You know, we're, we're coming for you. And when, by that, I mean, we're not really coming for you. We're just going to keep doing episodes of our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you can make an empty threat without acknowledging that it's an empty threat. Um, <laughs> also, don't sue us, please. Yeah, yeah. Don't sue us. We don't mean actually coming for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, in all honesty, guys, there's nothing wrong with watching all those movies, but there is there is something that's going to give and I think we're already experiencing it, like Jacob said, to where we are going to lose these movies. Like, I'm not claiming Nightmare Alley is a masterpiece, but it deserved better than the ridiculous, like, little amount of money it got. Um, it's Yeah, I don't, I don't understand the logic behind that either. But well, I mean, either way, the topics keep coming up because we keep hitting new lows. Right. Like, I don't know, not to prolong this, but like we keep like this is this hasn't really happened before where like a, a studio has gotten so big that they're trying to like bury certain things they have to release. Like, like, I mean, that's that's a fucking purposeful thing. They literally buried Nightmare Alley. And like, I'm sorry if you think that they did that for any other reason than to discourage that kind of uh, big budget auteurist filmmaking in the future, then you're kidding yourself. Like, it's on purpose. They're trying to tank their own product, you know, to it, it's like a light bulb company purposefully making light bulbs last, you know, uh, less time than they, than they can. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's like a, it, we've reached a new level of like corporate capitalism with this shit. And it's, it's, and it's fucking disgusting, man. I'm sick of this shit. And like, yeah, nightmare alley, may be a piece of shit. I don't know. It's probably good, but like, you know, most people will never know because most people didn't even know it existed, you know, even though it's got Bradley Cooper and all these stars in it. Most people don't even know that it's a movie, you know? 
Well, I'll tell you who is going to find out if it's good or not. People who subscribe to our Patreon, because I will be talking about it on the next After Dark episode we do coming out in January. Wait, you so, saw it? I didn't even know you saw it. I can't go into this right now. All right, all um, right. Let's wrap this up. But uh, but yeah, seriously, we will be talking about it on After Dark. Uh, so, But either way, look for our top 10 of 2021 coming out sometimes in January. I'm a little behind. Uh, so we will get to that. But anyway, guys, once again, we appreciate you listening. And, uh, you know, we, we obviously are very uh, thankful for you guys checking us out and sticking with us and, uh, and just helping our numbers go up. And uh, hopefully we'll continue to get good guests that generate good conversation about uh, real cinema, if you want to sound super pretentious, which I will. <laughs> real cinema. Yeah, uh, let's do so. it. That's not pretentious. I don't give a fuck. So anyway. Uh, Jacob, unless you have something to add, we will bow out of our holiday special. No, I've added enough. Guys, hope you have a great holiday. Whatever you celebrate, just get after it. And uh, we will see you in... Tw- Actually, yeah, Happy New Year's as well, because we're not making a new episode before the New Year. So. <laughs> have a good opening 2022, and we will see you guys next week at the Silver Screen Video.